Welcome to the Odin's Light Podcast. My name's Gillen, and we're going to be discussing filmmaking, the industry, and I guess whatever else I might find interesting. Thank you for tuning in, and hopefully you'll enjoy this podcast and the future ones. This week, I'm joined with Richard Oakes. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. We're going to discuss how we got into filmmaking. Um, we had the great pleasure of touring the Rebellion Film Studios, the brand new studios in Didcot, and the changing landscape of streaming services. So I'm joined here with Rich Oakes. Uh, he's a fellow filmmaker, uh, director, DOP, bit of special effects, and we've known each other since, what, well, it was teenagers, really. Hi. <laughs> yeah, since uh, how old were you? I was thirteen. I think you were fifteen. Fifteen. And we met on route to the National New Theatre Wales Open Day. I think it was. Yeah, it was a terrible thing. Yeah, I um, ended up going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was there for about half an hour and was like, "This is the worst thing ever." And you were like, "Sign me up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, yeah, and we sort of like, well, we sort of had the latter part of our teens uh, hanging out and then developed a love for film together and ended up shooting um, some films, questionable, some of them. Um, straight to Video Cop springs to mind. No, yeah, well, don't mention it. <laughs> why do you have to bring that up? Well, I, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm not proud of the film, but I'm proud of what we did because we made the film on like, was it £14, I think, was the total budget that we spent? No, we. Uh, I think it was less than that. I think we bought a few cans of tomatoes as blood, no. which were like 12p each. And then, no, the £14 was the £14 you see in the film when uh, the robot gets paid off. <laughs> Is that what But it right? wasn't spent. <laughs> it was a prop. Yeah, to be fair, we were using, like, there was a local media centre, so we just basically fleeced them for for everything we could, including this editing studio. But... Um, I was proud of the fact that we, you know, we were still basically kids and we went out and made a feature because we just wanted to go ahead and do it. So we just did and that I like. And like we kind of carried that on, I feel. Um, I think that's it. I think lots of filmmakers hold themselves back. There's always the, I would do a film, you know, lots of people call themselves directors or filmmakers and they're like, oh, I would do a film if I had this or if I had that, I just need this, I just need that. And, um, they're the people that don't tend to get anywhere because they don't get on with it, whereas we've always kind of been, what have we got, what can we use, let's do it. Yeah, like the Robert <coughs> Rodriguez and um, Kevin Smith approach, like, yeah. write the film to what you've got and just go out there and do it. Yeah, I mean, our camera on that first one was so bad that we didn't even know how to turn the date and time off. <laughs> yeah, the it had corner. a date stamp on it for so the whole film. The whole film's got the date stamp <laughs> that keeps chopping back and forth because we didn't shoot it in continuity order. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. But we still made a film. That's terrible, but it gave us a lot of knowledge of what goes into making a feature length, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it did. So we yeah. learned things, but, yeah, the film shouldn't be seen by anyone. Don't, don't look for it. No. Don't search for it. In fact, Rich, I, you should take it down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So now, um, so Rich and I lived together, even um, hung out a lot, and then we sort of got to late no, eighteen twenty and went our separate ways. Rich goes off, has a family. Of course, we're still friends at the time, but you know we're, we're sort of living in different parts of the UK, and have now ended up living in the same village one street away both working in the film industry which is pretty cool actually um rich had been doing music videos for a while i'll let him tell you about that but um i wanted to really want to get back into it i'd ended up in marketing i worked in publishing a bunch of other stuff that 
I thought I wanted to do, but I was always drawn back to, to the first passion, which is film. And um, Rich had this film that he was um, writing with a, a couple of friends, Adam Lido and uh, Nadia Lamine. And I said, uh, dude, I, I want to try producing this. And to be fair, you gave me a shot. And it sort of spiralled from there. Yeah. Um, but you you were working in sort of film-related stuff for quite a while back in, well, back in <laughs> Wales you started. Yeah, so I was a bin man for a while. I did a degree, sadly, in, in mu- being bin man. music production. And, uh, Same thing, right? The job you get out of that is a bin man. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I did that for a while, and I thought, well, I can either kill myself or I can get a job in film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I decided to, um, I thought, well, I don't have the credentials to go straight into making features, which was my, my dream. So um, I'll start by making music videos because that's normally a one-man band type job. So actually, um, Gil, out of the blue, we hadn't spoken for a little while, but he said, "Oh, have you seen these new cameras?" Um, no, you um, you asked me what camera for a suggestion for a camera because you were going to buy one for Rue for Christmas. Was it? Yeah, and I said, "Well, have you seen these? Because you can film on them too." Yeah, so it was basically the DSLR revolution with the Canon five um, D. Mark II, I think it was, but I ended up getting the 600D as my first camera because you recommend the 550D, which mm-hmm. was the cheaper alternative to the uh, 5D Mark II, and it could shoot film in in um, in HD, and you could have the interchangeable lenses, and it really shifted the market because nothing. I mean, we were using on that initial film that we spoke about. We that was high eight the yeah. first one well the first one we were shooting a second one that they lent us what was that that Sony um, Vericam or something so, uh, the X1 wasn't it yeah so, and we were like this is amazing but the, the DSLR like that was a two grand camera wasn't it And it was that was a DV camera I think it was like amongst the last of the DVs yeah um, and the, yeah. <clears throat> these Canons just like I don't want to change the game <laughs> yeah they completely they spat all over it I guess so yeah, so we got one of them. I'm trying to make a long story short. Um, and then I started doing music videos. I shot a couple of friends' bands um, and doing some visual effects at the same time. And um, Which you self-taught? Yeah, so I learned from YouTube and various websites that did free tutorials. And that, that comes back to the whole principle of not waiting for someone to teach you or give you the opportunity. You just... There's enough resources to get out there and enough ways to learn how to do it. And I don't think there's any excuse to start. You just No, you don't need to go to film school and there's an actual website called No Film School that's very much about that is don't bother with film school, just go out there and make films is the best way to learn how to make films. Yeah. Um and, you know, most of the greats that I appreciate didn't go to film school. You know, Tarantino didn't go to film school. Nolan, I don't think, went to film school. David Fincher didn't go to film school. Mm-hmm. And they're all like my favourites because I find, at least as far as when I went to music, they all tried to pigeonhole you into the same cookie cutter mm. musician type of producing. And I've heard the same with the film schools. You come out with all the same rules, same ways of shooting, and there's no nothing new to it. And you all come out yeah, with absolutely. the same well, I, set I, of skills. I did go to film school and... That was the frustration that I had, as you were taught these rigid ways of thinking about film that didn't work for me. And yeah, it was it was less about innovation and more about just getting you through the curriculum. And that trying I, doing a degree in something creative has always seemed like a bit of an anathema to me because 
academia is not necessarily a creative process. Yeah. So you're not nurturing creativity, and in fact, sometimes you found that they were it was actively hampering it. Yeah. Um, for the sake of a mark, which no one in the film industry cares about. Yeah, I mean, when I did, I did um, art and design actually, and kept switching of what I wanted to do. Did art and design in college, and I remember they were like, "This is what we want you to achieve as the end goal." Mm. And so I started getting on with it, and they were like, "No, no, you don't do it like that." And I was like, "This is how I would do that. This is my creative way of doing that." Like, and they were like, "No, you have to do it like this, step by step, in this uh, process. This has to be your creative process." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but it's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And I lost marks on that because I didn't follow their creative process because it's academic mm-hmm. and the creative process doesn't work like that. Yeah, it, it, you're right. I, there are some things that I appreciate from film school, like film history and appreciating semiotics and how to write the script and the, 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 the formatting for that. Nothing you couldn't learn without a library card, right? But being in an environment where that's what you're focusing on, that was useful, but it was all very theoretical. The useful stuff that I've got from it is all the sort of theory-based stuff. The, the practical stuff, I really didn't learn much new. Mm. Um, or anything that I did, I kind of unlearned later on, so... Yeah, but ironically, I mean, I'm the one who did the film degree, and I don't actually do the production. Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do producing, and so the, the podcast isn't about poo-pooing film school. But uh, I guess what we're illustrating here is that we have come through to where we're at, at from an attitude of just getting out and just doing it because you want to do it, and not not waiting for permission. Yeah, I mean, JJ Abrams famously said in an interview that. Um, if you make your own film, you're in the top 1% of filmmakers. So yeah. 99% of filmmakers don't make any films because they're constantly making excuses of why they can't. Um, Is that right? Yeah, and so, well, that's what he said anyway. Whether those facts or figures are 100% accurate, I don't know, but that's his view on it, and he he did the same. He found whatever camera he could get hold of mm-hmm. and started making films. He didn't wait for, you know, a Hollywood camera to come along or this or that. You know, nowadays everyone's got a camera on their phone. They've got no excuse. To yeah, not and like make the latest iPhones, you were saying that someone reckons you, you you can conceivably shoot scenes using that camera if you have the right lighting. You you can do. I mean, I I <laughs> I saw. Um, this is kind of pooping on what I've just said, but I saw um, a video the other day directed by. I think uh, the director of John Wick has just done the new Apple advert, which is a Christmas snowball fight action sequence shot entirely on the iPhone. Personally, I don't think it looks very good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And they've disabled all comments on the video. So (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, it looks nice and the colours are nice. It's the compression that I think is always the bottleneck. But I am a bit of a an elitist when it comes to image quality so for like i said like if if you if that's all you have totally that's better than what i started shooting on i guess is the point but as far as hollywood standard or kind of looking what i would call acceptable i don't think it's quite there yet i think it's amazing for a little camera that's the size of you know a p on on a on your phone in your pocket yeah yeah um compared to what we had many moons ago but yeah I don't know if this uh, you'd agree with me, but it feels like this industry is a series of gates, and that you get past one gate, and 
more open to you and then you sort of you know you, you find your path that way but you you don't just go and jump straight into hollywood film i mean that that's no. that's a given but the the starting gate is just shooting something doesn't matter anything even if no one sees it you you you, you, you you're shooting and i think then... the principle is whatever you shoot first is going to be terrible so yeah, yeah. you might as well get that out of the way yeah <laughs> you yeah you're mean, right rather than waiting till you've got all the right tools you've got massive budget and you've managed to source everything and then make a terrible film with all that it's just a waste so you might as well learn um, the process of how you make a film how it edits how um how acting should be done all, all those types of things that you're going to make mistakes on learn them when it doesn't matter yeah do you know what i mean well, yeah. learn them when there's nobody's money at stake learn all those things well yeah just while you're learning so i've done we did that feature length which was just fun it wasn't for anything we weren't expected to do anything with it and it is rubbish but we learned a few things we learned you know the patience it takes to edit like we learned how to edit we learned all those types of things and then we did exit plan which was six months of visual effects off on top of a three-day shoot which taught me a lot of things about um how to do things differently and it still wasn't to the standard that you want but i wasn't spending loads of money and having to get myself on debt and credit cards to get the best equipment to learn i should have done this different that had nothing to do with the, the equipment do you know what i mean yeah so yeah. it would have been a massive waste of my money to have done that so do a, a good few projects you know get three four films under your belt before you start you know getting credit cards out and paying for stuff because no one's going to buy those first films you make because they're, <laughs> yeah, they're going to be bad but also, once you start wanting to build up and doing a larger film, if you have a slate um, of, of projects that you've done, that then gives you the credibility for people to start trusting in you, and yeah. you're more likely to get a better grade of actor, or you know, you, you, you're going to get. Um, you know, investors to don't want to kind of invest <clears throat> in untested territory. If if you've got zero films or zero experience, and then you go and ask for money to make a new film and stuff, they're, they're not going to they're not going to do it. Whereas if you can say, I've got six films on my uh, back catalogue the last two are pretty good then they're going to trust in you more because you've had experience even if those first two are a bit ropey people expect that do you know what I mean yeah they do yeah yeah to be fair the industry is quite forgiving um, about you making a bad film audiences aren't but the industry is because they know how hard it is to make a film mm. and also there's so much that's out of your control yeah um there's so many hollywood films that could have been great but because one actor didn't perform or something wasn't available or even the audience um taste change equilibrium is a great example of that because that came out the same year of the matrix and had the matrix not happened equilibrium would have been would have been the hit for the hit of the summer yeah but it just sort of it it, it fizzled bad out. Timing, bad yeah. timing. Speaking of studios, which I just mentioned, we've just popped over to brand new studios, Rebellion Film Studios in Didcot, to see what they've got there. And uh, I took a couple of photographs, which you should be able to see on the site um, and in the, uh, the podcast comments. It's a, it's a pretty interesting space. It's the old Daily Mail printing press. So they spent a lot of time. Resetting it. I'm not going to steal your joke, Rich. You can tell that one. Yeah. <laughs> Spent a lot of time washing the lies out the walls. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, there's a lot of potential there. The main studio spaces they were good, great facilities. Seemed a little narrow, maybe, but that can work. Yeah, I guess that's the thing with like um, 
between purpose-built studios and somewhere that's retconned from um, something yeah. else. I mean, this is an old printing press. The, the spaces are, are large. They've got a lot of height there, verticality, and they've also got layers to it so you can, like, crane stuff from the lower floors up the floors mm. to, to things. And you've got a lot of length there, which is really good. They're quite narrow, but they're also building bigger stages out the back that are great for if you want a wider need a wider set. They also sounded like they were building like an underground subway train station yeah, within right. the studio, yeah. which I think is a great idea. At first, I was thinking, well, you're kind of limiting yourself with that space that people can only shoot train station things there. But then I was thinking, actually, that's a really good idea because if you need just an open space, there's a million studios you can go to or a million spaces you can go to but if you need an underground subway set i can't think of anywhere no and it, it takes a lot of work out just having it there yeah so to build yeah. that from scratch in an open space would cost a lot of money and if that's available there then you're only going to go to this place you're only going to go to rebellion for that and one underground station looks fairly similar to another so yeah. it's you know it's it's not hard to dress it differently and it won't look like it's the same set as somebody yeah, else's totally. so, i mean yeah. i think i heard that on rogue one they used actual London Underground stations. Yeah, there is a, I forget the name of the stop, it's the same one that was used in Skyfall. It's a, it's a fairly new, listeners, you, you, you send me a message, um, let, let us know what it is, but um, it's, yeah, it's a fairly new station that was closed, but it still looks modern. Yeah, so, so at the moment they're using real stations and it's like, well, if you can have a one in a sound stage, it's going to be a lot better for the production yeah even yeah. if you know it's not ending up as a stage it could end up as a sci-fi station or something like that i mean I, I, it wasn't even a station in rogue one was it it was something else so mm. it didn't even need to be a train station but it kind of had that vibe to it so yeah uh, it's, yeah it was a great space that we had a look around um brian Farr was a pretty cool guy as well he's the um facilities manager yeah really, um, nice. really accommodating as well so um yeah, he's, he's, he spent a lot of time just showing us around and like not only what they've currently got, but the potential that they're going to have. Uh, if you can hear sirens in the background, we're actually recording this in my car, so <laughs> apologies for that. We're not in a plush studio right now, but yeah, come back to the studio. It's, I think he was also quite flexible on, look, we've got this space, we can make this what you want. Um, we're going to bring in mocap here. There might be a green screen room, but essentially they're quite happy to work around what your requirements are, which I thought was was pretty cool. Yeah, it seems like it's it's got a lot of potential. I think it's not it's not quite there yet because they've barely scratched the surface of what they want to do. And he showed us the plans, mm. um, some grand stuff there. They want a helipad on the roof, and yeah, um, they want the whole roof to be um, green. So they're getting in solar panels for that. They've got plans for another couple of studios to be built out the back. At the moment, they're quite big, kind of barn-like things, which is great space, but um, I guess questions on the soundproofing, the, the soundproofing, and the uh, the gantries aren't load bearing, are yeah, they? load bearing roof for the um, the lighting setups and rigging and stuff like that. So <clears throat> there's a lot of work to be done, but there's definitely a lot of potential there. They got shooting uh, starting now in March, haven't they? Yeah, um, and I reckon once the films are in and the money starts coming yeah, in, yeah. it's hard to spend that much money off the bat with no work coming in. So yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, and it's good. I mean, we're we're excited because Rich and I live like six miles away from where this new studio is, so this is great news for us. And it's just it's the right kind of size for where our productions are at at the moment. We're sort of more, well, we're not quite there yet, but we're sort of building up sort of Blumhouse level films at the moment. We know we're we're obviously not you know sort of uh, you know running Hollywood features, so this size of studio 
at this time is is, is, is perfect for us. Yeah. Um, and I and I, I read the other day that it's like four billion pounds worth of or dollars worth of production was turned away from the UK because they didn't have the studio space. Yeah, and that yeah. seems to be changing. I mentioned earlier, but I don't think I think he was mid other conversation, but. It feels like to me that there, there seems to be a new re- renaissance kind of happening in the film industry in the UK. There's, I think, at least three or four new studios being built in the UK to cater for the amount of film industry work that's that's coming in, and, mm. and that's that's really good. We're not seeing a decline. Um, yeah, despite you know, and we're going to get into politics, but the you know, the economic situation right now doesn't seem favorable mm. but despite that it's 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 still growing rapidly yeah and and this is a good thing and hopefully we'll see more films produced here in the uk i know for a while we've had quite a few of the top hitters but i mean i think disney's probably forced the hand of some of these studios because they've yeah. they've taken up pinewood now haven't they yeah yeah they have a netflix now has shepparton for 10 years so so where else are people going to film their films so yeah yeah i mean i know there's other little spaces out those that will be available but as far as big features people need space and if if disney and um netflix are taking up two of the biggest studios in the uk then yeah the, the rest has to, i mean sky's just built their own studio for their own mm-hmm. um TV shows and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I don't know whether it's just because of the circles we move in, but it seems to me like there's more independent film, more happening. Funny enough, like, because Rich and I grew up in uh, in Wales, where it's, it's, there's nothing happening. It's, um, you know, and, and us making that film was a big deal back then. Nowadays, I don't know if it's who we know, but it feels like everyone's making a film or everyone's going to be working on a film. It's, it might it's, be the circles we're in and the echo chamber of all the people you know because you work in film yeah. is also making films as well. It might be. I don't know. I can't tell you with that. Whether it feel, it, To me, it feels like interest in filmmaking has gone up, but like I said, that's because I'm getting more into the industry. It, it could be just that. Yeah. I don't know. Could be. I'm, I'm, what I'm very interested in is getting in on the... Because there's going to be a, a streaming war. I mean, it's, it's already happening. Like, you know, the battle lines have been drawn. And what I'm hoping is we get caught up in that because there's such a demand for content at the moment. You've yeah. got so many new streaming channels coming out. Eventually, only one of them is going to win over, or a couple of them, because there's only so much share of what a, you know a viewer can give to you know content. How much you're going to spend? You pay five pounds a month on or more on all of them. It's going to cost you a fortune. But yeah, I don't know what their plan is for that because Disney Plus. I mean, they're not even pretending to have other people's content on there. So no. So how can they win? Because unless you just want to watch Disney, that's not, and you can only afford one package, you're not going to pay for Disney, are you? No, it's, I see what we're in right now is that it is is the content world. But you had like Sky TV or Star if you're in Asia or whatever. I can't remember what it is in the US. But you had this um, aggregator of channels, and you would pay a single subscription service for that, and then you'd get your you know your various channels um, via your satellite, and then streaming happened, and that disrupted everything. But then, as always happens when you have a new tech, eventually the big, you know, the big corporate giants step in and they take over. But what I think has happened is they've seen the market share that, that Netflix has managed to, to to carve out, and the potential profits from that. And so everyone wants to slice that pie, but they're forgetting share of wallet. And there's only so much that consumers are going to pay. Yeah. And and so, like you say, if you have to pay X amount to Disney for just the Disney content. 
And then you've got you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Disney, Apple, HBO. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, I think the true rivals are like, obviously, you've got Netflix and Amazon. And I pay for both of them. But I, I'm not paying any more for any others. But they offer a massive variety of content at the yeah. moment, you know. I think and until TV recently, as well. you could still get Disney stuff on there. You've got everything new, you know, any brand new films you can just pay for a rental on top of. And it kind of delivered everything. But then if you've got every production company, like what happens if, you know, Universal go, well, we want to do our own. So all Universal films get pulled off of Netflix and Amazon yeah. and they have their own channel for £5 a month. And then Paramount go, oh, well, we'll, we'll have ours. It's, it's just going to be a mess. And, and, and then people aren't just, people are just going to choose, oh, I'll just watch Universal. And then all the others miss out. Whereas I think... It's, I think it's a bad game because at the moment, if everyone's pulling into Netflix, then everyone's getting a cut of the pie. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. So yeah. Paramount are getting a cut, Universal are getting a cut, Disney's getting a cut. Whereas if they have to choose one company to watch, everyone else loses out. And so I think it's a bad, bad plan. Well, I think we're in the middle of, of a full circle. Because it's going to come back round to a single aggregator or a couple of them, and so we'll be back to the Sky model, except for or cable. Um, instead of it coming across a cable like Virgin Media or Sky TV, it'll come across streaming, and that's I reckon that's what's going to happen. The other problem they got is um, piracy's back on the up. Yeah, because people don't <clears throat> want to pay all this uh, all these fees for, for streaming services. Well, there's that as well, but there's also Disney. They've released their Disney Plus in America only at the moment, so you can't okay. get it in the UK. Right, and then. They released their most anticipated content ever, which is the Star Wars TV the, series. The Mandalorian. Only in America. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, we've just seen a massive spike in piracy. We don't know why. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've been listening to a lot of Kevin Smith recently, and like he, he's got a pretty good tag where he's trying to be positive about everybody and you know, not, not, not sort of uh, be down on people or, or, or things, be that sort of positive voice that's out there. But sometimes I do find it difficult to understand and say positive things about decisions that just don't seem to make any sense. Mm. And then there's a criticism to the to the customer, the consumer. And you think, well, this seems obvious to so many other people. How are you not seeing it like that? Or, or are we not getting the obvious thing that you understand? I yeah. don't know. I, I don't get it. Rich, thanks for your time. No problem. Yeah, it was good to chat with you. And um, hopefully you guys found that as entertaining or interesting as we did to sit here and listen to ourselves and our, you know, pumping up our egos. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate your time. And uh, keep tuning in for, for more content like this. Cool. See you later. Bye.